This is the Ornithopter Flight Academy. I'm your host, Brendan, joined as always by my friend Josh. Josh, how are we doing this week? Doing fantastic, thank you. Uh, so what's new? What have you been playing over the last week of Magic? Well, you suckered me into uh, trying out some uh, standard with Mono Blue Tempo, which I hated. Uh, other than that, not a ton. How about you? Um, I've been testing some still for the Eternal Weekend. I got five leagues, a little over five leagues in, and Vintage, I'm still kind of torn on which deck I want to play. The blue Tinker decks are busted and play a bunch of powerful Magic cards, but the Hogak uh, Bizarre decks are more consistent because I get to play a lot of four ofs, Uh, and it's just tough to make a decision long-term there. Eventually, I'm just going to have to pull the Band-Aid off and do it. Uh, I tried the Standard Challenge this week. I haven't played standard in forever. I haven't played standard competitively. And I don't want to say how many years. It's been quite some time. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to jump in and do. I copied the world champions de- deck list and ran it through. Uh, went three and three. Uh, for you guys that play Magic Online, you should definitely play the standard and vintage and legacy challenge if you can. Because uh, it pays out to the top 32. Usually there's between 40 and 50 some players. So at 3 and 3 record, I made profit. And uh, it's just a good experience against good players. Uh, it's probably one of the better routes for testing. Now, obviously, like the modern challenge and stuff like that, you have to do much better because uh, they're much larger fields. Same thing with Pioneer. But uh, yeah, speaking of the modern challenge, I have a little shout out. Uh, a buddy of mine, Heat 250, on Magic Online, top aided with Blue White Urza. Um, it's a mid range tempo Urza artifact deck. It's hard to explain. Um, I played it in the RCQ season this year. I like the deck quite a bit. I have it built in paper. And he's done a little bit of everything with it. He had a Yorian version that played Trinket Mage, kind of for the memes and. Uh, Every week he's kind of innovating it and doing really good. So I just want to give him a shout out. Uh, you have anything you want to shout out this week before we get into it? Uh, well, hey, I actually played that deck too. Uh, stole it from you for a modern FNM. I got first with that. It was a good yeah. deck. Uh, other than that, uh, looking forward to the pre-releases this weekend. Uh, we're actually doing uh, $20 pre-releases at War Games up here in northern Michigan and Cadillac. And can't really get much cheaper than that. Uh, that's actually what we're going to be talking about today is uh, sealed. A lot of people focus on the uh, draft aspects of a new set, uh, and I think that's very important. There's a lot of uh, fun drafting going on, but uh, sealed is what your pre-releases are going to be, and you're going to want to know what types of decks are pre-built for you in the uh, in the archetypes that are available, what cards are powerful, what removal is good. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited for this episode. Limited's not my strong suit, but I do enjoy it quite a bit. Um, And just recently, I kind of started to see the difference between draft and sealed, the speed of the games, uh, the archetypes that are kind of open to you, and the routes you can go. Uh, A couple things to mention before we get into this. First off, we're not going to be really talking about any rares specifically, Um, and your rares can affect your pool. Obviously, if you open up a big bomby rare, that's probably going to force you into one color or to splash a color, and that's fine. Um, 
But we want to talk about the commons, the uncommons, the decks you can build if you open up all bad rares, like Josh usually does at his pre-releases. Every uh, what'd you, time. What'd you get at the Dominary United pre-release? You got two of them? Uh, my my first pre-release, I got two Chaotic transfer, uh, Transformation and uh, two Urza Assembles the Titans. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you only had uh, one round loss in that pre-release. Uh, yep. But that guy was, you know, the best magic player in the world, so it's okay. Uh, just kidding, I got lucky. But you, uh, you probably should have beat me. I got lucky a couple of those games. Uh, the last thing I'd like to mention before I kind of let Josh start breaking down these archetypes for us is there's two different sides. There's the Mishra team and the Urza team pre-releases that you can get. Um, there's some cosmetic differences, but as far as the contents of the cards inside it makes zero difference it's not like streets of new capenna or strixhaven where you have a themed pack um so there's no <clears throat> there's no competitive advantage either way i really think i like this better where it's just cracking six packs because there's nothing worse than getting three off color rares from your theme pack and uh yeah so what are our archetypes, Josh? Or what's the first archetype we're going to talk about? Well, the one that I want to talk about first is the one I think I'm most excited for. I actually think it might be the best. It's going to be hard to say. Uh, but it's the Sacrifice deck. So in Brothers War, there is a fairly heavy Sacrifice theme. And it generally is in the black and red color combination. Although there are some other cards that you can fit into this too. So don't feel like if you're Sacrifice, you have to be solid black-red. Um, Payoffs for that deck are cards like Gixian Infiltrator and Gixian Skull Player. Gixian Infiltrator is a two drop two one that gets a plus one plus one counter whenever you sacrifice a permanent. Not a creature, not an artifact, a permanent. Uh, Gixian Skull Player is a three mana two three black card as well that gets uh, one one counter on your upkeep if there's three or more creatures in your graveyard. Both of these function very well in the same deck. They're both going to be feeding off of the same resources. Uh, that deck is going to want ways to put things in the graveyard uh, on your turn. You're going to want cards like... Supply Drop, which can be used as a combat trick as a colorless card. It also draws you a card when you sack it. Uh, Junkyard Genius is another card that gives you an artifact when it comes into play. That's a black, uh, red, 2-2 two -two for three. It has a sacrifice built into it that allows you to push damage through. There's cards like Penragon Strongbull, which is a three mana 2-3 two -three that sacks artifacts and gets bigger and does damage to your opponent. Thraxademon is a two mana 2-2. Two -two that sacks creatures or artifacts to draw a card. All of these cards are going to fuel your payoff cards, like the Skull Player and the Infiltrator. They're going to give you a lot of long game. Uh, that same deck allows you to play things like Power Stone Fracture, which is probably a middle-of-the-road removal spell. It's one in a black for a sorcery, and it destroys a creature or a Planeswalker, but you have to sack an artifact or a creature. In this deck, that's sometimes a benefit. So all of these things combined with uh, the Unearthed Creatures, which can give you multiple sack options, cards like Emergency Weld, which will return an artifact or a creature from your graveyard to your hands. It's a raised dead effect, but it also makes a 1-1. Uh, they just have all kinds of ammo. 
you can use fun effects like sibling rivalry. It's a four mana sorcery. It's uh, a theft effect. It steals an artifact or a creature from your opponent, gives it haste, untaps it. It also makes a power stone. And then fling their creatures at them or uh, sack them for value. You got any thoughts on the black red sack deck, Brennan? I actually have quite a few things I want to highlight here. Um, so first off, in your draft packs, you're going to have the artifact cards from all different sets that are legal in your draft. Uh, the I don't know what the name of them or what they're technically calling them, um, but it's like the Mystical Archives from uh, Strixhaven. And at Uncommon, you have Chromatic Star, which is something you can sacrifice, and it draws you a card, filters your mana. So if you're splashing something, like maybe a, a Haywire Mite, which is one colorless for a 1-1. One, one. When it dies, you gain two life, and you can pay a green to sack it, exile target non-creature <clears throat> artifact or non-creature enchantment. Uh, Mishra's Bobble. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows what that card does at this point if you play Modern or Legacy. Uh, that sacrifices itself. It triggers off a bunch of these. And this whole time since we first saw... Uh, Karn, last set. I don't remember what the Karn's full name is. We'll just call I it Bad it. Karn. Yeah, Car Bad Karn. Um, the question's kind of been, what do we do with these power stones? And <clears throat> there's a lot of ways to incidentally make power stones. And like the Pen Pentagon uh, Strong Bull, two and a red for a two, three. That's one sacrifice and artifact. It gets plus one, plus one, and pings your opponent. Uh, that makes really, really good use of it. You can tap it, tap the uh, Power Stone to activate his ability and then sacrifice it to it. Uh, same thing with Power Stone Fracture, the removal spell you were talking about. So I think this just also incidentally uses a lot of the cards and gets the most value out of everything. Um, if <clears throat> Let's say I open up my six packs. What key cards do you want to say that will make me want to try to push for this. What's, you know, if I have three or four of these cards, I should try to push for it. What do you think are the big ones to look out for? So common and uncommon wise, I'm looking for Gixian Infiltrator and Gixian Skull Player. I think those are going to be the backbone, bread and butter. They are common uh, cards for that deck. I, you're not playing this deck with one or two. You're going to need three or four, preferably even five, to make this go. Those are the payoff cards. Uh, as for enablers for the deck, I'm looking for cards like Transmogrant Altar. I'm looking for Thraxa Demons. I'm looking for Strong Bulls. I'm looking for Junkyard Geniuses. Uh, if you have a good assortment of those cards, I think you can make the rest of it work out. There's a lot of things you can use to supplement this. Uh, just generally strong cards are fine. Any rares that uh, fit your colors or even better fit your colors in your theme. Uh, cards like Scrapwork Rager, which is a Phyrexian Rager with Unearth. Uh, cards like Sibling Rivalry is a good filler card. As, yeah, I like that uh, a Oh, yeah. Sibling Rivalry, I, I think, is going to be surprisingly great in this deck. Um, even cards like Ashnod's Intervention, which is a combat trick, which allows you to get back something that died this turn, which you're going to be having happen a lot. Um, that's what you're looking for in this deck, and it doesn't have to be black-red. Like uh, Brennan was saying, Haywire Might has a green activation. Uh, Combat Courier has a blue on Earth. Uh, there's quite a few different cards that uh, 
you can get value of from other colors. Scrapwork cohort cohort has a white unearth cost and it makes extra guys. And the beauty is Evolving Wilds is in the set. And that is also a sacrifice, and it fixes your colors, as does the uh, chromatic star that Brennan was talking about. A quick, complete side note. I just read Ashnod's Intervention uh, closely for the first time, um, and that totally gets around uh, exile effects in older formats. That's super cool. One fun note about Ashnod's Intervention as well, uh, something that is probably going to get argued over in in, uh, games. This works with Unearth. If you Unearth oh, a right. and Ashnod's Intervention it, you will get it back at the end of the turn. Yep, it does go back to your hand, not back into play. Like Correct. I assumed it did, like because there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, the whole Ractus, Ractos scam deck and Modern's kind of built around it. But that's, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, there's We were talking before the show, we're kind of talking about how this set doesn't have a whole bunch of combat tricks. But uh, that one seems really, really good. Um, yeah, keep your eye out for that. I like that card. So, Got any uh, last thoughts on the uh, sack deck before we move into the next one? No, it just looks super powerful. Um, I also think out of all the archetypes, this is going to be one of the big contenders because of the accessibility in the commons to be in uh, draft as well. I think this is going to be a very good archetype there. I agree. Uh, We'll move on into the next archetype. This archetype, I actually think, has the potential to be the strongest, but it hinges a lot more on your uncommons, so it's going to be a little harder to pull this one off. And that is the draw two deck. Um, There are a bunch of cards in black, blue, and red that care about your second card draw on a turn. Cards like Gurgling Anointer, which is a three-mana black flyer that gets a plus-one, plus-one counter when you draw your second uh, card per turn. Evangel of Synthesis is a two-mana, two-three, which, by the way, is a pretty good stat line on its own um, that cares about if you've drawn two cards a turn, it becomes a great attacker. Thopter Mechanic, uh, again, gets bigger when uh, you cast your second or draw your uh, second card for a turn. Uh, those are the cards, and Latin Am Adept is a common, by the way, and that will go on this deck as well. It also gets bigger. Those are the cards you're going to look for to build around on this deck. This one is going to hinge heavily on having enough synergy and enablers for the deck to actually be able to draw two on most turns. And you're going to be looking to do that with cards like Urza and Mistra, the Power Stone Prodigy and the Excavation Prodigy, the three mana ones. Both of those have the ability to draw a card and discard a card, or in Mishra's case, discard a card, then draw a card. They both activate your second draw for the turn, and they give you some value uh, on both sides of them. Mishra has haste, Urza has vigilance, Urza makes power stones, Mishra gives you mana. Uh, You're also looking for cards like Energy Refractor, Combat Courier, which also goes in the sack deck, gives you a free card draw. Basically, anything that says draw a card is going to be good, preferably ones that have... uh, more than one use would be nice. This is a deck that is going to tempo out your opponent really hard because with all those card draws and card selections, you're going to get to see a lot of your deck every game, which means if you do have bombs in there, you should find them. You should have no trouble hitting your land drops. Uh, you could filter away extra land drops. Uh, this will be a very consistent deck when it's when it's put together all the way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to read a couple of the cards to kind of get into it more. So, like, um, this is I, my opinion. I think this is kind of the blue-white flyers deck of the set. Um, so, like, uh, Gurgling Anointer is two and a black for a 1-3 flyer. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Gurgling Anointer. And then the next line of text is really interesting. It says, when Gurgling Anointer dies, return another target creature card with mana value less than or equal to Gurgling Anointer's power from your graveyard to the battlefield. So if you trigger it off once and make it a 2-4 and it dies, you can get back, like, Evangelos, uh Synthesis, which is a blue and a black for a 2-3. Josh was talking about earlier, really good stat line. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, draw a card, then discard a card. So it automatically... Uh, synergizes with the Gurgling Anointer. And it says as long as you've drawn two or more cards this turn, it gets plus one, plus O, and Menace. So you can get that back and kind uh, there's just some really good synergy there. Gurgling Anointer, I really think, is the card that holds us together. Um, you can pitch stuff to Urza, get it back with it when it dies. Um, Take Flight, I also think, is another really good card. It's three and a blue for an enchantment. And I know enchantments aren't great because you can get two for one, but there doesn't seem to be like a whole crazy bunch of instant speed. Um, and sometimes you just got to be pl- smart when when you play your cards. But it says it's three and a blue, enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus zero, and has flying. And whenever this card or whenever this creature attacks, draw a card. Uh, so it's not on damage, it's on attack. So you can go into combat, attack and then trigger off these other cards, your payoffs abilities when you attack, pump your team. Um, I think that's really powerful. That's also an uncommon. And then just like before, don't forget chromatic star draws you a card. And with your uh, Mishra's bobble, you can, if you sack it on your opponent's turn and then draw a card on your turn, then during your upkeep and then draw for the turn, you can also trigger all your cards if you sequence that correctly. You can also trigger some of these on your opponent's turn as well. If you have cards like Mishra or Urza that have the activated draws, uh, you pop a bubble on your turn, and then on their turn you can activate Mishra or Urza. That's also another fun thing you can do. Another nice thing with cards like Might Stone's animation, it's a 4-mana aura, enchants an artifact, turns it into a 4-4 permanently. Uh, it also draws your card when it comes into play, and that synergizes pretty well with cards like Energy Refractor. This is likely to be a three-color deck a lot of the time, and so you'll want to play cards like Energy Refractor anyway. It come, It's a two-mana artifact that draws your card when it comes into play, and for two mana, you can filter a mana to another color. This is a perfect example of a card that you'll draw play to get the extra draw off of maybe you'll filter a mana or two but then it's a dead card in play might stones animation can turn this into a beater um cards like symmetry matrix can be quite strong as well it's a four mana artifact that says whenever a creature with power equal to its toughness comes into play under your control you can pay a colorless if you do draw a card again this is another card that does nothing sometimes might stones animation can turn it on A lot of the card draw effects, a lot of the effects in general in this set will make power stones. And the power stones can be used to activate effects like Third Path Savant, which is a two and a blue for a two, three, and it's got an ability of seven mana draw two. That's a really expensive ability, but when you've got 
four or five random power stones laying around, it gets a lot cheaper to activate that. Right. Plus, when you're looking uh, looking at this format, it doesn't look to... There's not a real aggressive deck out there uh, unless it's rare-based. You know, you get a couple nutty rares, and maybe you can build a really aggressive deck, but it seems slower. And from my personal experience, cards like Third Passive on that have a decent-ish stat line, but can have an overpriced thing they can you can sink your mana to into late game. Uh, I think it's uh, I think that card, if you're playing blue, should probably find a way into your 40 main deck. Much uh, agreed. I, I think that uh, that's going to be a common theme in your sealed decks. If you play cheap creatures, you really want them to double down as late game creatures as well, usually. And this is a three drop two three that can help hold down the four in the early and mid game, but late game it turns into a draw two every turn or every turn that you don't have spells to play. Yeah, one thing I'd like to say about this deck when you're building or you're looking at your sealed pool, make sure you have enough things that enable the draw two. Um, otherwise, you're going to be kind of playing not great creatures. For their, uh, you know, their stat lines won't be the best for their mana cost, and you can just get outpaced by your opponents uh, if you don't have that constant synergy. So really make sure this deck has the possibility to be super strong, but it also can be really clunky if you don't have enough enablers. So just Great. something to think about when you're looking at your sealed pool. In my opinion, I think <laughs> to play this deck, you don't need nearly as many payoff cards as you would for the sacrifice deck. Uh, just a two or three is fine, but you are going to want eight to ten, maybe even more cards in your deck that say draw cards somewhere in the text. Yeah, and this deck also has the ability to play uh, things just like take flight. You know, some decks won't be able to answer a three three flyer, so sometimes that'll be just good enough and draw you enough cards to get you there. But that's kind of all I got on this one. Yep, uh, I think this deck, when it comes together, is going to feel unbeatable. I do think this one's a little trickier to put together because it does live on a lot of uncommons. The next deck uh, in our list here is actually one that Brendan brought up a, a couple of cards early on and pointed them out to me. It is the Soldier's deck. Uh, do you want to start that one off, Brendan? Yeah, so one of the first cards spoiled uh, was Recruitment Officer, which is one white for a 2-1. So it's a Savannah Lion, um, and has the ability 3 to white. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card with mana value 3 or less from among them and put them into your hand, put the rest on your bottom, uh, bottom of your library in a random order. So I like that card a lot. I think it's probably better in Constructed than it is going to be in Limited. But again, in these very grindy long game limiteds, having something to sink your mana into, I think is really good. Now to make this deck really, really good, this is one of the decks that I think is going to depend a lot more on the rares. Um, but sometimes it might just come together for you. If you like playing something more aggressive, <clears throat> excuse me, if you like to play something more aggressive, this is what you're going to be want to be looking for. And I'll talk about a couple of the cards that I think are crucial and also really good. 
Uh, so Zephyr Sentinel is one in a blue for a 2-1 flying uh, flyer with flash. It's a target creature you control to its owner's hand. If it was a soldier, you put a plus one, plus one counter on uh, Zephyr Sentinel. So you play Recruitment Officer, you attack, or maybe you block with something, you flash it in, you get a two mana, three, two flyer, which is a great stat line. Four, um, two. Four, two mana. It's cheap. Four, two mana. Yeah, four, two mana. I thought you were saying four, two as in like four. I was like, did I misread that card? No, no, four, two mana. You get a three, two flyer, uh, which is crazy. And with flash, there's a lot of really cool combat tricks. You can get tricky with this. You can also just flash it in at the end of your opponent's turn. Um, even if it's just as a 2-1, it's going to throw off combat math and stuff like that. Um, Yoshin Tactician is two, a, a two generic mana, a white and a blue, for a 3-4. So it's not the worst creature. But it says other soldiers you control get plus one, plus one. And that's really important because random cards have the type soldier in it. Uh, Guy's Courser, which is a green card. There's red cards like Inscripted Infantry. Hero of the Dunes, which is white and black. Um, you can almost accidentally just have a soldier sub-theme in your deck. So as you're going through your pools, definitely make sure you're taking a look at that. Um, this is definitely something I'm, I'm definitely going to try. And if you get one or two of the soldier-based rares from this set, I think this deck has the potential to be really strong. Um, a lot based off the back of the fact that it is probably the fastest deck in the format from what I've seen. Well, I think it is fast. I, I don't know if it's like a full-on aggro deck. I just don't know if there is a full-on aggro deck in this format. But there are a few things that I think stand out with this deck that could maybe give it some real oomph. Uh, for one, Yoshin Tactician is a lord. It gives your soldiers 1-1. One, one. And lords are always fun. They, they buff up your squad. They make combat math harder for your opponent. But it works particularly well with creature makers, uh, such as Scrapwork Cohort, with a Cohort, which is a 4-mana 5-3 uh, that makes a 1-1 one, one when it comes into play. It also has Unearth. So instead of a 4-mana 5-3 and a 1-1, one, one, you're getting a 6-4 and a 2-2. Two, two. That's a lot of stats for 4-mana, or for 3-mana when you Unearth it. Mass Production is a 6-mana spell that makes 4 one, 1 colorless soldier artifact creature tokens. That doesn't sound that impressive, but when you're making 4 2-2 two, two tokens, it sounds a lot better. Those cards are very important. Uh, there's also some really powerful cards that can fit into that deck very nicely. Cards like Ambush Paratrooper. It's 1 in a white for a 1-2 with flash and flying, and it has the ability of 5 colorless colon creatures you control get plus one plus one till end of turn uh, you can flash that in as a seven mana um, trick you can flash it in on your opponent's end step and then activate it and go for lethal um, it's you can just splash it in as another way to get a flying attacker in it's just a two mana one two flash flyer sometimes and that's just fine uh, it's strong there's colorless cheap soldiers like spectrum sentinel uh, and Yoshin Frontliner, which are both really good for getting down early to do things like play a Zephyr Sentinel on turn two and then start bashing in the air for three. There's cards like Air Marshal, which is a solid two mana, two one blue card that also has the text of three colorless, make a soldier get flying for a turn. There's Bruisery sort of uh, soldiers like Warlords Elite. 
it's two and a white for a four four, which is a great stat line. But to cast it, you have to tap two untap on artifact creatures and or land you control. So you can't play that unless you played a couple of guys on turn one and turns one and two. Uh, one of the things I think could be particularly powerful with this deck as well are cards like Thopter Architect. It's three and a white for a two three. It is not a soldier. It is a human artificer. But it says whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gains flying till end of turn. That's a useful effect in and of itself. You're paying four mana for a subpar stat line on a 2-3, uh, and you're getting some flying here and there, maybe once every turn, once every other turn. But the reason I think that's powerful is because of cards like mass production. You pay six mana, you get four 1-1s, but more importantly, you get four 1-1 artifacts. Thopter Architect can make your whole team fly. That's going to, a lot of the time, just be lethal. Uh, and then the last card that uh, I wanted to talk about with this is actually Falaji Vanguard. It is two, a red and a white for a 2-3 soldier with first strike. And it says whenever it or another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you can give a creature plus 2-0. Again... This card goes so well with a card like Mass Production or Mishra's Onslaught. Anything that makes multiple creatures, Scrapwork Cohort. Uh, you can get a very large creature very quickly, and if that creature is getting through, it might end the game. Any other thoughts on that one? A couple things, just a couple traps to look out for. Like Warlord's Elite looks really appealing, because um, at worst it's a 5-mana 4-4, because you can tap lands as the additional cost uh, having two creatures in play to tap first, I think kind of defeats the purpose of what this deck wants to do. You know, if you go one, two into this, um, so be careful of that. And also if you open up like a, a Yoshin tech Titian and a couple soldier cards, don't feel like you have to force this archetype. Um, there might just be kind of a mixture of this and another archetype where maybe uh, you just have, have some good tempo cards and you have a slight soldier sub theme. I can see that happening a lot in sealed pools where you just have a couple of the flash guys with some good removal and maybe it even mixes in with the draw two deck um, if you don't have quite all the colors. But you could probably put like a Yoshin Tactician in that deck as your 23rd card because it synergizes with six other cards in your deck. Um, so don't think you have to completely abandon other strategies just to try to force this. Uh, the last thing is if you bring in a friend to pre-release and he is rather new, or she, or they, um, I would suggest hoping they open this. This is definitely new player friendly on all the stuff you can do. Uh, and it looks like good fun magic. I will probably, I try to force blue white flyers in every set. So once again, I will probably be trying this deck at some point. Uh, one last note on the soldiers deck. Uh, Brendan makes a good point. Uh, be careful with cards like Warlords Elite. I think that is a strong card, but it does very heavily rely on you having one drop, two drop. And if your deck can't provide that, then this card gets notably worse. And also, don't feel like you have to be full-on soldiers. There are cards like Gaius Courser, which is a 5-mana 4-5, and it is a soldier. Whenever it attacks, if there's three or more creatures in your graveyard, you get to draw a card. You can have a soldier thub, uh, sub-team splashing a card like this in, a, in green, or a card like Hero of the Dunes in black. 
uh, which allows you to get some recursion and also gives your cheap guys some power. Uh, soldiers don't have to be the whole deck. You can definitely make soldiers a sub-theme to another deck that you built uh, as just filler. Yeah, and this is one of those archetypes, again, uh, rares super impact the deck, and I also think it'll probably be a better draft deck than it will be a sealed deck. Possibly. I agree with that. I actually think this deck could be a very strong draft deck. If it's open in a draft, uh, I would be actively looking to want to be in this. It can be aggressive if you get the right cards. Uh, on that note, um, we're going to go ahead and move to our next deck. And that deck is a deck that's been seen as recently as the last set. And that is the Blue-Red Spells deck. This is probably the first deck where if you want to play this, you're almost for sure going to have to be blue-red. You may splash another color, but the cards are so evenly split between the two colors, you're going to want to be in blue-red most of the time, if not all the time. This card is going to live or die by two cards, and that is Third Path Iconoclast. It is a blue and a red for a 2-1 human monk. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you get to make a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact token. The other card is Levitating Statue. This is a two colorless artifact. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the very first artifact that is not a creature and all of magic that has flying, naturally. It also says whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 counter on it. And then for two colorless, you can turn it into a 1-1 creature. These are your bread and butter for the deck. The Iconoclast allows you to swarm. The Levitating Statue gives you a giant flyer. Uh, there are three or four Prowess cards in the set as well. And you'll definitely want to try to shove as many of those into your deck as you can get your hands on. But they're not the true meat of this deck. Uh, after that, it's kind of easy play spells. If it's a spell, you should probably play it, or at least consider it. Uh, some of the better spells are obviously going to be the removal spells. Uh, you've got tap removal in blue, cards like weak stone subjugation, which you can uh, play for one blue to keep something tapped, or pay for to tap something and keep it tapped. Cards like forging the anchor is card selection. It lets you look at the top five, and you can get uh, artifacts uh, and put them into your hand. Uh, cards like Whirling Strike, Combat Tricks, it's a two-mana instant that gives something 2-0 in first strike. Cards like Mishra's Research Desk are fantastic for this archetype because A, it's a non-creature spell when you play it the first time for a colorless. And then its ability is one, tap, sack it, look at the top two, pick one, and you can play that card. So it gives you another card to play. And then three, it even has Unearth, so you can do it again. Um, cards like that are going to be the spells that you would like to have but really any spells will do uh anything that draws you a card just like the uh the black blue or the uh the the black blue red draw two deck you're going to want a lot of those types of cards too because this deck lives off of card quantity not necessarily quality uh, and then for the rest of that deck, you're going to want to fill out with the best stuff that you have available. Any bombs you have are, of course, going to go in this deck as well. I, I think for a deck like this in particular, cards like Coastal Bulwark are very strong. That is a two-colorless wall artifact. It is a 1-3 defender, and it gets plus 2-0 as long as you have an island. But more importantly, it has two-colorless and tap to surveil one. Surveil in this kind of deck is particularly powerful getting to 
get rid of a land at a critical turn in the game where you absolutely have to hit a non-creature spell, it's it's clutch. Or, alternatively, getting that land so you can actually cast your non-creature spells or cast two of them, uh, it's huge. Uh, I do like this deck. I don't tend to draft this deck. This is uh, a deck in draft, specifically, that uh, you kind of have to start on. In Sealed, it's going to be a little trickier. If you open up two Iconoclasts, I'm going to look at this deck. If I don't, I'm probably not. What do you think? Um, so a couple things to kind of circle back to the Soldier deck. Um, Iconoclast makes Soldier tokens. And Wing Commando, which is two and a blue for a two-two with flying, so pretty good stats as there right there, and it also has prowess. Uh, so maybe you have some support for this, and you also have some support for the Soldier deck. I think there might be a Jeskai mix in there. You know, if you get a uh, Yoshin Tactician, so you can uh, buff your soldiers and stuff like that. If there's enough support of it, um. The issue with these decks, they need a lot of interaction. So it's really dependent on the interaction in the set, which there's some, but there's not a whole bunch. Also, it's really the two biggest cards in it are uncommons. So in, in, in your seal pool, you have to have two of these, probably two of both of them, to make uh. it really work it, just to force this archetype without doing anything else. Um, or at least two of one and one of the other. So it looks like a really fun deck, but I'm not super high on this one. I just think in that kind of tempo-y way, like I think a lot of these cards can slide in and out of other archetypes, but to go full in on this might be a little bit of a trap. Um, Definitely you, be careful with it. You you do yeah, you payoffs. Yeah, and you just... You know, when you, so to kind of get into sealed, you know, when you open up six packs and you're looking at it, you might have multiple options. And if you have everything for this deck, this could be a good option. But I would see what other options you have with your sealed pool, because I think a lot of times this is going to be the second or third best option, especially because it really forces you into two colors. It's the first one we've talked about that really forces you to be these two colors plus maybe a splash. Um, it, it's very specific in what it needs. So even if you have the stuff, you might just have better options from other archetypes. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, and the reason I say this deck really needs to be two colors is some of the best enablers, including one of the payoff cards for this deck, are red. You, you really want cards like Mishra's Research Desk and um, Whirling Strike and Burn Spells. You really want them. Like You need them. And on the other side, all the card draws in blue, or most of it. So you also kind of have to be blue. It, it really does nearly lock you into being blue-red. On top of that, the payoff card, the best one, is blue-red. Yeah, Iconoclast is why you play this. Levitating Statue is also really good. Uh, we'll talk more about it when we get into the removal section. It just being an artifact... And most sets is really good, but if you're playing against uh, opponents who know the format, uh, it might actually end up hurting it more than helping it. True. So, um, that's all I got on this one. I'm kind of excited for the next one. So well, start it off for us then. I like this next one too. Um, good old ramp. 
just being a Timmy, playing big things. So, big obvious, dumb things. Big dumb things. Uh, a couple reasons I like this form. This one, uh, you get to play with a lot of the prototype cards, which are all colorless artifacts. So it makes deck building really flexible. And in games where you're going to go long term, you're going to get seven, eight mana and play a lot of times because there's not a lot of aggressive decks in sealed. Uh, it's a lot easier to pull these off. So the biggest thing you need is the enablers because you can't just be doing anything or nothing till you have seven mana. So battery bear is one of the big uncommons you want to look for. It's two, a green and a blue for a three, four. It says, Creatures you control have tap, add uh, a colorless. This mana can't be spent to cast a non-artifact spell. And whenever you cast an artifact spell with mana value 6 or greater, draw a card. Um, it's an enabler and a payoff. Decks like this really struggle with having their big threats answered, and having this to help refill your hand is really good. Um, and then all the prototype cards, Rust Goliath, is 10 mana for a 10-10, a 10 uh, generic mana. Or you can play it for uh, 3 and 2 green for a 3-5 as Reach and Trample. Both of those are fine. You play it as a 3-5. It's probably going to hold off some stuff. And, you know, if you play Tower Worker, which is 3 colorless for a 1-3 with Reach, it says tap, uh, add a colorless mana. If you control creatures named Mine Worker and Power Plant Worker, add 3 colorless. Uh, I would like to say I'm going to try to draft that deck, but it is probably not good, and I do not recommend trying it for your sealed pool. Um, or we're just wrong, and it's busted. It is one or the other. But, yeah, that's um, a little busted. It's really cool that there's two kind of three-man of uh, elves to say. Uh, the other one is uh, Cradle Clear Cutter, which is six mana for a three, six colorless for a three-six. Or it's two and a green for a one-three, and you tap it, and you add green mana equal to Cradle Clear Cutter's power. Uh, I think that card's just super interesting. There's different stuff you can do with it. Um, this deck also, I think, utilizes Power Stones extremely well. You're going to see a lot of cards that just kind of accidentally make Power Stones, and this one's not. It's just going to have stuff to do with it. Because even when you cast the prototype cards for their prototype cost, they are still artifacts. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I got. Is there any cards you want to highlight? Anything I missed? Oh, yeah. So, almost every card uh, that is going to go into this deck with a few of the uh, just generally powerful exceptions, I hate them. I hate them. I don't think they're good at all. But when I look at them together and I look at how slow the format is, I'm kind of getting higher and higher in this deck every single day I look at the cards for it. Uh, cards like Battery Bear, I, I really did. I, I looked at that card and I said, this card's terrible. Why do I want to pay four mana for a bad ramp card that makes my other creatures tap for mana that I can't do anything with, uh, and it only draws me cards if I play six drops? I'm going to be dead by then. And then I looked at how slow the format was, and I said, actually, maybe not. Uh, all of these prototype cards... A lot of the unearth cards have huge mana costs, and you can play them flexibly in this deck. You can play them to stabilize, or you can play them for the giant monsters that they are. Depth Charge Colossus is a 9-mana nine 9-9. Nine nine. 
And for three, you can untap it. This this thing, it doesn't untap naturally, uh, but for three, you can untap it. This thing can beat face and then stand back and block. Same with the Rusk Goliath. It's got reach and trample. You can play it down and stabilize the board, or you can probably end the game in one swing with it. Heavyweight Demolisher is another huge creature that uh, costs a lot of mana. It's an 8-6 menace. It'll end the game real quick. Has unearth if it does die. Uh, but then the cheaper cards that go in this deck are important too. Cards like Argothian Sprite, it's a 2-mana two 2-2. Two -two. It's just a bear. It can't be blocked by artifact creatures. Maybe you can get a couple of swings in early with it because all they have is some artifact blockers and they can't actually block it. More importantly though, it's a place to dump your mana late game. It's a 2-2. Two -two. You can use it to tap for mana with Battery Bearer. And then late game you can pay 7 mana and start pumping counters onto it and have it be an actual threat in the game. Uh, cards like Argivian Avenger are just so flexible. It's a 6-mana 5-5. Five, five. It's not the worst stat line in the world. And for one colorless, you could give it minus 1, minus 1, and then it gains one of the uh, four abilities of Flying, Vigilance, Death Touch, or Haste. Uh, it can attack. It can block. Uh, it can kill whatever it attacks with. If you have 7 mana, you can attack with it the turn it comes into play. Uh, it can attack and block thanks to giving it Vigilance. Uh, it's just really flexible. Um, Brennan already mentioned cards like Clear Cutter, uh, and he did mention that you get a lot of random uh, power stones. Uh, green does that really well, surprisingly. They have cards like Argothian Opportunist, which is a 3-mana three 3-2. Three it's just a generic guy you're going to throw down there. But when it comes into play, you get a power stone. They have cards like Sitinal Stalwart, which you can use to uh, help filter your mana if you want to. It's a one mana, one one, taps an untapped uh, artifact or creature to give you a mana of any color. It's something you can play early and then use it to filter colors to cast some of those prototype costs or unearth costs. You can use it again for battery bearer. Um, you also can even play some really strange looking cards like Fulaji Excavation. It's three green green for a sorcery, and it creates three tapped power stone tokens, and you gain three life. At first glance on this card, I said this is completely unplayable. But at second glance, this ramps you from five to eight, or nine if you play a land drop. That's enough to play a lot of the artifact prototype cards. I think this deck is going to be the least dependent on any individual cards. And I think this is the deck that uh, I'm going to play similar to the way I played Domain in Dominaria. When my pool isn't perfect, I think I'm going to end up in this ramp deck. I think it's strong. It has a great late game. It's a little weak uh, overall, you know, compared to the early game of some of the other decks, and the synergy isn't quite perfect in this deck. Uh, but I think you'll always be able to make this deck, and I think that's a big thing for an archetype, is just you can always build this deck, I think. Yeah, and I'm really bad at building mana bases, so this deck is pretty simple. There's a lot of colorless spells. Uh, being able to play your cards is a big part of magic, come to find out. Uh, and then another card that I <clears throat> think is going to be really good in this archetype, and maybe other places, and I want to find a way to break it in another format, is uh, Sarnith. Uh, Sarnith? Sarnith? I gotta find the combo for that card. Yeah, it's Sarnith Steelseeker. I think that's how you say it. Uh, at me if I'm wrong. It's a generic man and a green for a 1-2 uncommon. Human Artificer Scout. 
It says, whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. If you don't put the card into your hand, you may put it into your graveyard. So it really smooths out your draws uh, as you go through, go out. Make sure you get into your big stuff. Um, maybe you have um, a stalwart on, uh, on top of your deck late game, or you don't want to draw it, so you put it in your graveyard. It gets all the lands out of there. It really helps smooth out your draws. So I really want to play that card. Also, do things like put unearth creatures in your graveyard. Don't forget about that. Absolutely. Um, and back to the the stalwart. It makes power stones suck less, which I really like. Um, and then obstinate bailout's going to reprint, and that's it's uncommon. So for you guys that aren't old like me and Josh. Obstinate Bailoth 2 and 2 green for a 4-4. It says when it enters the battlefield, you gain 4 life. In this limited environment, that's going to be the important part. It's a good body. It blocks. And if you're playing against something more aggressive, helps you stabilize. It also has the text, if a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard Obstinate Bailoth, put it out of the battlefield instead of putting it into your graveyard. Uh, ironically enough, last time it was in standard, I'm pretty sure Liliana the Veil was there too. So weird how that worked out. But yeah, no, I like this deck. I agree with you. It's very flexible. There's a lot of different ways to build this. And it's probably going to be a deck you can find in any sealed pool. Also, the colors are really flexible. <clears throat> if you get the seven mana uh, prototype guy for the seven five that you can play for one and two black, you could probably splash put black in this deck to play that. Uh, and if you get some bomby rares, this deck can absolutely be nuts. So definitely keep your eye out for this one. Yeah, don't <clears throat> sleep on this deck. This deck has... Uh, it's so easy to put together. Uh, almost every pool should be able to do it. If you have one of the other archetypes we talked about, or something completely different that we didn't, um, and you're missing a core piece or two, and you look at your deck and you realize it's not quite there, take a look at this deck. The, the ramp deck might just be the better alternative. Uh, as weird and dorky as some of these cards are, they do kind of go well together. Like, Cradle Clearcutter doesn't look good on its own, um, but it goes well in this deck. Cards like Depth Charge Colossus, it's too expensive. I'm not going to play this deck in very many decks. I mean, maybe the 6-mana six 6-6 six, six portion of it, uh, but even then, I'm not going to be thrilled about it. But in this deck, I think it's one of the better cards. It's, I, I think this deck will work. Yeah, and another thing, uh, when you're playing against that like 13-year-old, 14-year-old new player who looks like he's dirtling around by playing some of these enabler cards, like take it seriously because uh, it definitely can kind of come out of nowhere when you feel like you're ahead and drop two or three threats back-to-back -back, and you go from being ahead to way behind rather quickly. <clears throat> so, well, yeah, for sure. And cards like Boulder Branch Golem, can stabilize and uh, Austin Bailoff can stabilize their life total real fast. Absolutely. So those are the five archetypes. Pretty sure it's five. Math's hard. Uh, yeah, it is five. It's yeah, it's for blockers, and I don't do that. So I just turn my creature sideways. <laughs> <laughs> but no, a real, a real magic player. That's right. I just turn them sideways, and cast lightning. But no, those are the five archetypes. They're not the only five archetypes. We probably missed some in there. Uh, but those are five that we're looking out to play um, and that we think are the best. Uh, no one pays us to play Magic. 
So we could be completely wrong, but I definitely think you should be watching out for your opponents playing them and looking for them in your sealed pool. But moving forward, obviously a big part of limited is playing removal. And it's not just any removal, it's the correct removal. And I'll kind of let you elaborate on that um, as yeah. we talked about it before. Absolutely. So those are the archetypes that we talked about. Your Every card in your deck is not going to fit your archetype. That's just not reasonable to expect that to happen. You have to fill out your deck with other cards. And the cards that you're going to reach for first are typically going to be your, uh, other than your bombs, are going to be your removal spells. Um, we looked at every single possible removal spell in every color in his set, and we're going to start talking about some of these. Uh, and which ones uh, we think are good, which ones we think are situational, maybe sideboard, and which ones we think are not as good as they might look. Um, for white, we'll start with that. White has five removal spells. They have Lay Down Arms, which is what a lot of people are calling the new Swords to Plowshares. It is one white for a sorcery. Remember that. Sorcery. Exile target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control, and its controller gains three life. This is a good removal spell in the early and mid game. This is a bad removal spell in the late game. It really depends on you having a high count of planes, uh, and it's still, even then, probably not going to be able to take out their biggest hitters. Uh, this is one that I'll play, but I'm not going to be real happy about it. Uh, the next white one is Static Net. It is three and a white for an enchantment. When it comes into play, you exile a non-land permanent. When it leaves play, they get it back. It also happens to give you two life and a Power Stone token. It's your standard O-ring effect. O-ring effects are always good. Uh, I'm going to play this in basically every white deck I get. It's uh, nearly unconditional removal, and it even has some value tacked onto it in the Power Stone and the life. Uh, I think this card's great. The next one is Prison Sentence, and it is two and a white for an aura. It can only hit a creature. Uh, when it comes into play, you get to scry two, and it turns off attacking, blocking, and activated abilities. So it's a pacifism effect for three with a little bit of extra value built onto it. This is another one of those cards that I'm going to play almost all the time. Maybe not all the time, but almost all the time. It's pretty unconditional. It takes out a threat early to help you stabilize. It takes out their best guy late. You can even throw it on a creature with a nasty uh, ability, like maybe an Urza or a Mishra in the draw deck, or maybe one of the sack enablers in the sacrifice deck. Uh, and you can shut those abilities off too. Uh, Deadly Ripost, uh, pretty standard white removal spell. It's one and a white for an instant. Deals three to a tap creature. Gains you two life. Not really much to be said. It's medium. It kills small things and helps you stabilize in the early game. It is an instant, which is nice. Uh, and then Disenchant. And this is here because we are in an artifact format. In most formats, I would relegate this purely to the sideboard and only bring it in if there was a bomb that I had to kill. But this is Brothers War, and a lot, a lot of artifacts are going to be rolling around. This might be the best removal spell that White has. It might be the best removal spell in Limited in the format. Uh, don't sleep on this card. If any of you ever played the original Mirrodin block, you'll remember how good Shatter was. This is a better Shatter. Uh, what do you think, Brennan? 
Uh, I think if you played original Mirrored and Block back in the day, you're older than dirt. But besides that, um, that hurts. <laughs> uh, the type of deck is really going to depend on kind of white deck you're playing, what removal spell I want. So if I'm playing a more aggressive soldier deck, I definitely want lay down arms to get a blocker out of the way more than I want a, uh, a deadly rip. Uh, what is it? Deadly ripose? Ripost. Ripost. There we go. Um, because I never, if they're attacking me and we're racing, it doesn't really matter. And maybe if I'm playing a more controlling deck, uh, it's the other way around. Usually, things like Static Net and Prison Sentence are really, really good. Um, they are, but also remember this is an artifact set. And usually things that destroy artifacts, like Disenchant, also destroy enchantments. So it's not going to be as absolute in this set as it is maybe in other limited formats. Um, but yeah, I think White might have one of the better suites of removal uh, from what I've seen in this set. That's um, And again, it just depends on what deck you're building. Um, Lay Down Arms is not Swords to Plowshares. I hate to break it to you. It's not Path to Exile. I don't even uh, think it's good. I don't even think it's Oust. That's the name of that card, right? Oust? Yeah. It's yeah. not Reciprocate. It's not Oust. It's not Swords. It's not Path. It's not Prismatic Strands. I could go on and on and on about one-mana white removal spells. This is none of them. I don't think it's that good. I think this is playable and limited, but only barely. Yeah, I think you want this. And even if you're not a quote-unquote aggressive deck, if you're the aggressive deck in the matchup, maybe you want this to clear some two, three, four mana, maybe blockers out of the way at some point, but, um, and maybe you can play it and then play a creature or play an enchantment or something along with it uh, to double spell on your turn. But yeah, no, it's not going to, if you're trying to be the more controlling player, don't kind of get fooled by this card. It's not going to be that great. And don't be wrong, if you need a 20, 21st, 22nd, 23rd card, or if you're just a little remove light, it'll do in a pinch, but it won't do well. One positive note to that card. It exiles, and it does exile cheap things quickly. There are a lot of cheap unearth cards that give value. This does deal with those quite effectively. Absolutely. Uh, next, we'll move into blue. I'm sure you guys are like, blue doesn't have removal. Um, and does it kind of does. Removal. It doesn't have, quote-unquote, real removal. Uh, we do have a couple counter spells and defabricate scatter ray and Urza's rebuff. Uh, they're all kind of specific. Uh, defabricates one in a blue. You can choose one counter target artifact or enchantment spell. If it is countered this way, exile instead put it in its graveyard. <clears throat> or you can counter target activated or triggered ability. It's always interesting when you get to stifle something. Um, I don't know how great this is. I think if I'm building my deck, that one probably starts in my sideboard and move its way to the main, um, depending on the matchup. And then you have Scatter Ray. It's one in a blue. It counters target artifact. Creature. This is very good um, as far as blue removal spells go. Just answering a creature, answering a bomb pretty effectively and winning the mana race there. Urza's Rebuff might be my favorite out of all these cards just because of its flexibility. It's one blue-blue, and you choose one counter-target spell. So the floor for this card is it's a cancel. Uh, or you can tap up to two target creatures. 
So if you're playing um, a blue-white tempo deck of some sort, you can hold up three mana and try to block in case they play a bomb or removal spell, and then end of their turn, tap down two of their dudes, swing it for lethal. Uh, and it's also something you're going to want to make sure if uh, your opponent has one and two blue open, when you go to your cut, you want to play your cards, your big threats in your second main phase, because you want to force your opponents to decide between countering a spell or tapping your guys down. Uh, because you, if you play it in your first main phase, then it makes the decision easier there, obviously. Uh, involuntary cooldown, three and a blue for a sorcery. Tap up to two target artifacts and or creatures. Put two stun counters on each of them. This card has the potential to be really good. Uh, it's a sorcery. It's a sorcery, um, and it costs four. But the what was the one in a blue card from Dominaria United? Impede uh, Momentum. Oh, yeah. I yeah. It was Impede Momentum. That card played a whole lot better than it read, and I think this card might have the ability to do the same, especially if you're playing against like the big ramp deck, just shutting down a couple of their creatures. Or if you're trying to be the more aggressive deck, and you stop them from stabilizing. It really changes the math and race situations. So it has potential to be better than it looks. But it is a sorcery. Uh, we have Desynchronize, which is four colorless and a blue for an instant this time. This is target non uh, target non-land permanent's owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Scry two. Uh, that's a really weird way to word that. I don't know if that was a translation. No, this is worded that way because they make the choice. This is another one of those cards that uh, sometimes comes mm. up as an issue in um, uh, usually pre-release events or sealed events in general. Uh, when a card is worded this way, you casting the spell don't get to make the choice. They get to choose whether they put it on the top or the bottom of their library, uh, which always makes these kind of spells a little bit worse because they get the choice. Yeah, the fact that there's fetch lanes in this format that people need to play in their pools probably to splash colors makes it a lot better. So that's always fun to do. Put your bomb on top of your deck, then you shuffle your library. Um, and it's also kind of like a time warp in a lot of situations. They play their big threat. You just either you tell them to put it on the top or bottom. And the scry two, I think, really helps this card. Uh, we talked about uh, weak stone subjugation, so I won't get into that. The last one's Machine Over Matter. It's one in a blue for an instant. It says this spell costs one less to cast if you control an artifact creature. And it says return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Uh, so this is uh, better unsummon a lot of the time. Uh, did I miss anything with the blue ones? Nope, you got them all. The uh, Machine Over Matter is a better unsummon in this format. And unsummon is a very situational removal spell but it's tempo and the decks that you're going to put this in are decks like the soldier deck where you really just care about getting a blocker out of the way for a turn uh same with cards like um weak stone subjugation y you really are just trying to get something out of the way for a turn uh to, to get that swing through so they're not real high priority for me when I build a deck in sealed, but I do give them consideration. Right now in standard, that deck you had me built is a tempo deck, and, and it lives off of cards uh, that bounce your opponent's creatures for less mana than they paid to play them so that you can get a few more swings. 
And that's Absolutely. what that card does. <clears throat> Absolutely. And if you're playing these, you're pr- any of these, you're probably the tempo deck. Otherwise, if you're playing more of a controlling style deck, uh, you're going to have removal spells in your non-blue color that are probably just better. Agreed. So, uh, One note on Desynchronize, by the way. Uh, this is an effect... Uh, that's a little more powerful than it seems, and I played these effects in Limited a lot. Putting cards on top of their deck isn't just a bounce spell. It's not like the Machine Over Matter where it just puts it back in their hand. It also denies them a draw. Uh, If you're in a situation in a game where you're winning the game and they're down to top deck mode and they draw their bomb creature and play it and you desynchronize it, it's worse way worse than just bouncing it to their hand because you also took away their only chance at a draw the next turn as well. Or they can put it on the bottom of their library, in which case this is a true removal spell. Yeah, and forcing your opponents to make decisions gives them the option to make wrong decisions sometimes. Um, So that's always a thing to remember there as well. I agree. Uh, Moving forward, the uh, black, as usual, has quite a few different removal spells. the first one is Corrupt, and this is a reprint. I still love playing with Corrupt. I remember when it first came out. This card is powerful. It is five and a black, so it's expensive, and it's a sorcery, so it's slow. Uh, but it says, deal damage to any target equal to the number of swamps you control, and you gain life equal to the damage dealt this way. Now, this is not something that you're going to splash. This does not get thrown into a deck, uh, even though it only costs one black, because it counts your swamps. You need a lot of swamps to make this good. If I'm playing Corrupt, I'm probably playing Mono Black or very, very close to it. However, if I am playing Mono Black, this is almost always the best card in my deck. This can easily knock off 7, 8, 10 life off your opponent to end the game. Can kill nearly anything they play. Great card. Look for this card uh, in draft more than in sealed. Uh, But if you just happen to have a real deep black pool, consider being mono black if you have two or so of these cards. Uh, The next card is Gnawing Berman. This isn't a true removal spell, but it does act as a pseudo removal spell. Uh, It's a one black, one one. When it comes into play, target player mills two cards. You can use that on yourself to get some unearth. Uh, you can also, in some situations, use it on your opponent. Uh, but more importantly, when it dies, you give a creature you don't control, minus one, minus one. And it's got some nice text on this card. It specifically says target creature you don't control. So unlike some of the other cards of this type, if you have two one one creatures in play and they kill this, you don't have to kill your other creature, which is very nice. Uh, The next card is Gruesome Realization. It is one black black for a sorcery, and it's also a choose one card, and I love this card. Choose one, you draw two cards and lose two life, so it's three mana to draw two. Or, creatures your opponents control get minus one, minus one till end of turn. Uh, In every single game you play, you're going to have a choice to make, and it gives you two great options on this card. Uh, Go for the Throat is a pretty standard removal. It is one in a black for an instant destroy target non-artifact creature. And in most sets, this would be the best removal in the set. In this set, there's a lot of artifact creatures rolling around. So this is a real drawback on the card. I'm going to put this in most decks that I build that are black anyway, uh, but I'm not going to be as high on this card as I would in other formats. Non-artifact really does mean something in this format. 
Uh, the next card is Power Stone Fracture. It is one in a black for a sorcery. You do have to sack a creature or artifact when you cast it, uh, but it is an unconditional destroy target creature or planeswalker. This is another card that you need bodies to make work. It's going to go best in the sacrifice deck, as we already talked about in that one. Uh, but it can be played in a pinch if you're low on removal in a lot of other decks, too. Disfigure is the next card. It is, it's a reprint as well. It's one black for an instant. And target creature gets minus two, minus two, hotel on the turn. Uh, cheap, one mana removal. Always nice to have. Uh, in some formats, this would be a game breaker as well. In this format, it's good. And that's as far as I would give it. It's just good. There's a lot of two threes that uh, decks need to build around, and this can't kill them. And that's a little bit of an issue with that card. And then the last black removal spell is Overwhelming Remorse. It is four and a black for an instant. It costs one less for every creature in your graveyard, so it could potentially cost one. And it's an exile target creature or planeswalker. I actually think this is a very good spell, and I actually think I like it better than Disfigure. Uh, and about the same, maybe a little more than go for the throw. This can get cheap pretty quickly, especially in the right deck, like the Sacrifice deck, uh, and give you a very cheap, unconditional, exile-based removal. Uh, you got any other notes on these ones? Uh, the big thing with the black removal is sequence correctly. Uh, and, you know, if there's... A 2-2 in play, and you have overwhelming remorse, and you're not going to die to it immediately. Maybe you wait a turn or two, try to draw your disfigure. Uh, same thing with go for the throat. Don't always hold it for the big bomb, because the big bomb it probably can't answer, because most of the big bombs are uh, artifacts. So use it maybe a little bit more liberally than you would before. But that's going to be the key to playing with this removal suite is making your sequences correctly and saving your really good removal spells. I think Overwhelming Remorse is the best, in my opinion. Um, saving those for the right spots. The format's probably slow enough, even if it's three or four mana. It's instant speed, um, and it probably it gets the job done. Um, Power Stone Fracture is also super powerful, but it's super powerful in the sack deck, which, like we said before, we think is going to be really good. Um, but that's pretty much all I got on that. Uh, we'll go into red now. Uh, we have Obliterating Rating Bolt. It's one in a red for a sorcery. Uh, it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. If it would die this turn, exile it instead. Takes care pretty easily of most of the unearthed cards. Uh, don't forget, you can make an Alpha Strike into a big unearthed card, and they block, and then you deal the four damage and it dies. <clears throat> The next one's Pyric Blast. It's three and a red for an instant. As an additional cost to cast it, you have to sacrifice a creature. Again, this probably goes in the sack deck, uh, but it deals damage equal to the sacrifice power to sacrifice creature's power to any target, and you draw a card. I like this card a lot. It replaces itself in the right deck. It enables other things, and uh, it's also just randomly a fling. Um, so hit you with my big guy, fling it at you, you're dead. Uh, definitely can be a thing. I like that card quite a bit. One quick note on that, too. Most of the unearth costs are cheap because it's a one-shot effect. Mm -hmm. Pyrrhic Blast is great at throwing an unearth creature at somebody after you've already attacked with it. That's a really good point. 
the Fall of Krug, I am less high on. Um, it's a really, it's not, it's not good. It says choose target <laughs> target opponent, destroy target land that player controls. It deals three damage to them and one damage to each creature they control. If there was a bunch of X1 elves running around this format, it'd be useful. This is going to find a way into your sideboard most of the time. Destroying a land super not relevant. Um, most usually once you're at six mana. And in this format in particular, where there's almost zero utility lands. Yeah, I think there's one that we'll talk about in a little bit. So I don't really like that one. Uh, Unleash the shell. Unleash shell. Excuse me. It's three red red for an instant. It deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker and two damage to that permanent's controller. Um, I like this one a fair amount. It's instant speed. And like I said before, five mana to kill something probably isn't the worst in this. Uh, the issue is it doesn't kill, it deals five damage, but it uh, so it doesn't hit all the big threats. Um, usually, when you play this card, you're probably going to be at the mana disadvantage, which I guess is the downside. Um, but it does deal two to them, it does get a blocker out of the way, so it's definitely a playable card. Excavation Explosion is two and a red for a sorcery, it deals three damage to any target and creates a power stone token. It's okay. Um, if you have a deck that can utilize the Power Stone token, uh, it's better. And also in Limited, being able to deal damage directly to someone's face give you a little reach, especially if you're more of an aggressive deck. Once they stabilize, uh, that can be a big deal. And then the last card in for red is two and a red for a sorcery. It's raised to the ground. It says the spell can't be countered. Destroy target artifact. If its mana value is one or less, draw a card. Um, there's a lot of really big, scary artifacts. Maybe it doesn't make it in your main deck. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but against those big green ramp decks, you're definitely going to want to have one of those in your pile of cards to bring main in. deck this card. Is that main high on it? Th this card is insane. Main deck this card. Trust me. Shatter effects that have extra text on them, main deck them. All right. You heard it here, folks. Main deck raised to the ground. It's not um, as good as Disenchant, but I think it's the uh, the next best behind Disenchant. Um, I'll let you move on to green if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, green does not have very many removal spells, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's for green. Uh, but green's quality on removal spells is excellent. Uh, they get Bushwhack, which is one green, and it's a sorcery, and you get to choose one. You get to go search your library for a basic land, put it in your hand, uh, or you get to make one of your creatures fight one other creature that you don't control. Uh, this is such a versatile card. Early on, you can use it to fix your mana. You can use it to just get more mana, turn it into a land effectively. And if you don't need the land, then your big guy kills their slightly less big guy. It's just solid. Uh, shoot down is the next card, and again, I think this card, being that it targets artifacts, is strong, very strong in this format. It's four mana, it's three and a green, and I think that's probably its biggest limiting factor. It's a sorcery, that's its next limiting factor, but it's powerful. Exile target artifact, enchantment, or creature with flying. It takes care of a lot of threats. I would definitely play one or two of these in most of my decks. Epic Confrontation is a reprint. This has always been a pretty solid card. It's one in a green. Again, not an instant. It's a sorcery, as most of the removal in the set is. 
Uh, it allows you to give one of your creatures plus one plus two to on a turn, and then it allows you to make that creature fight something that you don't control. So again, you can pump one of your guys, uh, usually just enough to survive the fight and kill their guy. Hopefully even get to attack with it that turn, preferably. Uh, and then the last one is actually an artifact, but it has a green activation. And that is, again, the Haywire Might. This is a one colorless 1-1. One, one. When it dies, you gain two life. And it has green and sack it to exile a non-creature artifact or non-creature enchantment. This is a nice card. I would put it in a lot of decks. Uh, I think most of the targets you want to nail in limited are going to be creatures. Uh, but notably, this can kill the O-Ring and Pacifism style effects from white. So it's not like the text on this is irrelevant. There's also some pretty nice non-creature artifacts. Uh, that's it, though. That's all green has. So that's what yeah. you're working with. I think uh, the biggest advantage of these, if you're in green, you're going to want to get rid of that white removal that answers your big threats. This has some pretty effective ways to do it. Um, and these cards are fairly versatile. Um, and the other thing to remember with things like Haywire Might and Shoot Down is with the 63, is it, artifact cards that are going to be, there's going to be some random unwinding clocks and other things that people are going to open and put into their sealed decks or their draft decks. And so every pack's almost guaranteed to have a good artifact card in it, a playable artifact card in it. So these cards are usually not going to be dead. Uh, just keep that in mind. And the last, we have two multicolored spells and a colorless spell. I'll kind of lump these together. The multicolors are actually creatures, um, which makes them a little better, but they're not true removal spells um, a lot of the times. Our Blessed Engineers is one red and a green for a 2-2 human artificer. It says when it enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to any target. You can put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature, or you can create a tap power stone. Um, the creature you put a plus one, plus one counter on gets trample and haste till end of turn. So this can come down as a 3-3 trample haster, which is cool. Uh, or you can pump another guy and give it haste. It can ping something out of the way. You can ping your opponent and win. That always feels good. A pretty versatile card. Not true, true removal, but it will come up from time to time. Solid card. It is. Just yeah, it is. It is just a good card. If you're in red and green and this card's in your pool, you should play it. That is like a lock. Uh, Skyfisher Spider is the next one. It's two, a black and a green for a three, three with reach. It says when it enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice another creature. When you do destroy target non-land permanent. A lot of really good synergy there with the red-black uh, sacrifice deck. Maybe you splash green if it's in your pool. And then when it dies, you gain one life for each creature card in your graveyard. If you do, you exile Skyfisher Spider from your graveyard. Um, all around, good card. There's going to be a lot of times where you have kind of a not big dude, maybe just a little mana dork or something like that, that or maybe a token um, you can sacrifice and get rid of anything, any threat. Skyfisher Spider, I think, is really good. Uh, speaking of get rid of anything, we have Goblin Firebomb. It's a one-mana artifact with flash. It says seven-mana tap, sacrifice it, destroy target permanent. Um, so it's an eight-mana instant speed removal spell that kills anything. It's not great, um, but let's say you're in the green or green-blue deck, uh, the ramp deck, and you need another removal spell, 
this will do in a pinch. Um, also, what? it sacrifices itself, which is relevant for the other decks, and it's just an artifact you can play early. Um, you can kind of play a mind game with your opponent. Maybe they don't play your big threat late game, and you can sacrifice it to another effect. Uh, one other which... fun note on the card is it costs one, and it has splash, and it's an artifact. And there's quite a few artifact enters the battlefield triggers. This can also be a pseudo-combat trick on some creatures, so don't forget about that. I wouldn't play this card in general, uh, but if I have other ways to use it, such as enters the battlefield artifact effects, uh, it might find its way into my deck. Yeah, even like the prowess deck, uh, where maybe just flashing it in, like you said, for a combat trick, makes yep. it worth it. And then super late game, you got to get something out of the way, it takes care of it for you. So that is, I do believe, all the removal in the set. And even some stuff that I'm sure you guys will tell us isn't removal. Non-rare um, removal. Non-rare, yes. And non-schematic non retro artifact removal. Yeah, this is from the Brothers War proper. Um, All right, moving, mo moving into the uh, next section. We have cards I think you should think about. Uh, these are actually cards that either we didn't touch on too much or uh, at all in some cases uh, they can actually be their own decks in some cases or they're probably cards that you should think about maybe shoving into your deck even if they don't quite perfectly fit your synergy uh, and we're going to start with the uh, white ones I'm actually looking at uh, Lauren's Escape I think this is an excellent card. It is a one white for an instant. It's a combat trick. It gives an artifact or creature hexproof and indestructible to end a turn. And then you get to scry one. I love this card. It's an instant speed, cheap combat trick that can win you a combat. Um, it can counter a spell with the hexproof. It scries to help you dig a little deeper. Uh, and it has some really situational use where you can actually cast this on your opponent's creatures to, say, counter uh, an aura, like the four mana Take Flight enchantment, uh, by making their creature uh, hexproof. It's it's powerful. Um, I'm going to run this card, and I'm going to run it a lot. I think uh, Take Up the Shield in Dominaria was surprisingly good to me and while this one doesn't give lifelink i i do think it's uh gonna be a staple for white decks yeah, uh the next... oh go ahead so yeah and it's common um so it should be easy to get your hands on these if you're playing white this should be high consideration in your pool to put in your deck um i think this is out of the section of white cards we have here i think this is the one that just auto includes in any deck that plays planes I agree. And even though I'm probably not playing four or five of these cards, I'm pretty happy playing two, maybe even three in my decks. Uh, Absolutely. Rep repair and recharge. I'm excited about this one. Um, it's three white, white for a sorcery, and you get to return an artifact, an enchantment, a planeswalker, uh, one of them from your graveyard to the battlefield, and then you also get a power stone. And the reason I'm excited about this is prototype cards. If you have the ability to play a prototype card for cheap and then let it die to something and then resurrect it for five and get a 10-10 or a 9-9 or some other absurdly large monster, that's kind of scary. Um, I think this is uh, going to be a sneakily very good card in the set. 
Uh, what about you, Brendan? Am I way off base on this? No, I think it has the potential to be super strong. In white, you have a lot of enchantment removal. Um, so you can use it to get back an enchantment removal card to put back on your opponent's creature, possibly save your butt right there. Uh, you can bring back some big, scary artifact. Um, and another cool thing to remember, and I know it's a mythic, but worm coil engines in this set, so you can live the dream, play a worm coil, they die it, bring it back, just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, no, it definitely, you definitely have to have the right pieces to make this card work. It isn't an auto-clued. It's kind of a build around. Um, but I'm going to try it out for sure. I love reanimator style decks. So I definitely think this is a cool one. I, I love reanimator style decks too. And I especially like it when you get to cheat on the uh, on the cards you're reanimating by playing them for cheap on the prototype. I like that. Absolutely. And I think uh, if you have a couple of these in your pool and you're kind of doing the mono green or green blue uh, beat down uh, ramp deck that plays a lot of the prototype cards, maybe consider putting some white in there. Uh, that deck's going to be really flexible on mana because it plays a lot of colorless spells. So keep that in mind. Uh, the next one uh, is Lauren, Disciple of History. It's three and a white for a 3-3. Three, three. And it is a legend. Uh, whatever Lauren, Disciple of History, or another legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, you get to return an artifact from your graveyard to your hand. This one is really interesting. Uh, I feel like you're not going to get to use it very often because it's a legendary trigger. But there are a lot of uncommon legendaries in the set. And it is possible that you end up in a deck where you've got Lauren and... Uh, maybe you're, you know, Jeskai and you have Lauren, Urza, Mishra, maybe even a few other uh, random ones thrown in there. That's a lot of value attached to this card. Uh, keep your eyes on this one. I think it's going to be next to impossible to make it work in sealed. In draft, though, maybe. Be honest, like honestly, uh, it's a four minute three three, and I've played worse cards than that. I've played Gravedigger a fair <laughs> amount in my life. Um, and let's say you have some prototype cards you can get back with this, but maybe you just have like a Mistress Bobble and it's just a little value move. You know, you pop your Mistress Bobble early in the game, you play this on four, you get it back, you get to draw another card. Uh, it's a four mana three three that most of the time will replace itself and may do more in the future. Uh, I think it's a good card, definitely worth checking out. Yep. The last one is weird, um, which probably means I'm going to play it way more than I should. Uh, it is Meticulous Excavation. It is one white for an enchantment, and it has a static ability on it, of, or an activated ability on it, sorry, uh, of two and a white, colon, return target permanent you control to its owner's hand. If it has on Earth, instead you exile it, then return that card to the owner's hand, and you can activate it only during your turn. Um, the reason it has that weird text is because of the way Unearth works. If an Unearth creature leaves play for whatever reason, it gets exiled. So this goes ahead and exiles the Unearth creature so that you can get it back. Uh, this could be insane value if you have a deck that has ETBs or what it's intended for Unearths that you can play your creature, get value out of it, let it die, Unearth it, swing again, get more value out of it. And then throw it back in your hand to start the process all over again. This potentially has infinite value built into it over the course of a game. Uh, it does require a very specific deck to make it work, but it's powerful in that deck. 
another interesting thing, let's say you're playing like the blue white X soldier deck and you play this early and you swing in with a bunch of guys, whatever guy they block, you can just put back to your hand and save and then recast it late game um, and use it kind of as a quote unquote combat trick. Um, but it makes their blocks not good because no matter what they block, your guy doesn't die. Sure. You have to use up your mana, but usually an aggressive, more aggressive deck like that. Uh, to the mid to late game, you're going to have just extra mana laying around. And I think it could be relevant there as well. It also has a little bit of a hidden benefit on it in that it forces your opponent to use their removal spells on their turn or their combat tricks on their turn because you can only activate this on your turn. But if you have something that has to die, they can't wait to see what you do on your turn and then play an instant speed card because you could just protect it with this. And that can mean a lot in a limited game. Yeah, and let's see, keeping a 5-5 five, five back as a blocker, um, and you're more of the controlling deck in the matchup, you can attack with it, bounce it back, replay it. It gives something pseudo, really bad vigilance. Uh, yep. But if it works, it works. Uh, moving into the uh, the next ones, we got a few blue cards to uh, talk about. Uh, Flow of Knowledge is an interesting card. It is 4 and a blue for an instant which is notable. It is draw a card for each island you control, then discard two cards. If you're in heavy blue, this card's great. Five mana, draw five cards, discard two. Like That is really good value at instant speed. And if you have more than five islands, it just gets better and better. If you're not in mono blue, this card's going to be a little trickier. I think a lot of this time, this card ends up being at best draw three, discard two. Uh, which for five minute instant speed's not that great. Right. Um, I feel like a lot of people are going to play this. They probably shouldn't. I'm not super high in this. Now, if you're playing heavy blue with a light splash, where you can regularly, when you cast this, draw four or more cards, it is worth it. Um, but like we talked about before, there's not a lot of great blue removal spells. There's no real true removal spells for blue. Um, but it, there is actually a decent amount of counter spells that are worth playing. And not every set has that. That's worth, um, you know, you keep up your mana. They don't cast anything. It gives you something to do. Yep. Keep your eyes on the card. If you end up in heavy blue, this card is extremely good. If you don't, maybe stay away from it. It's, uh, it's another one of those. Uh, your deck is going to determine whether this card is playable, uh, great or terrible. Absolutely. The next card on the list is uh, Keeper of the Cadence. Now, this card isn't particularly powerful, except we're uh, probably going to be in a relatively slow format. It is a 4 and a blue for a 2-5, so not the greatest stat line. It's got a big butt and doesn't do much else. Uh, and its ability is 3 colorless, put an artifact, instant, or sorcery from a graveyard on the bottom of its owner's library. Now, in a very, very long game, this can rebuy you your bombs, it can rebuy you your removal. Um, but it's kind of dirtly, and it doesn't really do that much. In a lot of games, you're going to hate drawing this card. But Unearth is in this set. This can take away your opponent's Unearth cards, and that may be the difference between winning and losing a game. Uh, in the white cards, we talked about a card that reanimates a huge creature. This card says no to that, and I think that's something that you should consider, even if it is out of the board. It's powerful in the right spots. Yep. Um, 
the things that's going for it, like you said, it's one blue pip and its activated ability is all colorless. So it's very splashable. It'll come out of the sideboard in most games if it's a really long grindy matchup or if they're a more graveyard centric deck. There's also, um, it doesn't hit creatures, which kind of stinks uh, because there's a lot of cards that care about three or more creatures being in your graveyard. So you can't really blank your opponents on that unless they're artifact creatures, which there's a fair amount. That's pretty fair. Um, yeah, blue seems pretty weak in this set, um, which is nice. I think there'll be a lot of different archetypes we can explore, but blue seems more of a support color, not a whole lot of strong ones. Um, the last blue card to talk about, Third Path Subvant, uh, we talked about that back in the archetypes. Two and a blue for two, three, seven mana, draw two cards. And those long grindy games, this card can be the difference between winning and losing with not an awful stat line. I don't have much else to say about that one unless you do. No, that one uh, is simply here because it comes down early, it stabilizes, it does something late. Uh, it does something powerful late. Uh, there's really nothing else to say. That, that card's going to be in almost every one of my blue decks. It's going to be in a lot of my not blue decks, too. Moving on to the black cards now. We have Clay Revenant. It's one mana for a 1-2. Enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, so not the greatest, but it's a one-drop in a fairly slow format. And it also has the ability of two and a black. Return it from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, so late game, you can play this over and over again. Black has a lot of sacrifice effects. Um, so definitely something to keep your eyes on. We've already touched on Corrupt. That card is really strong. I will probably force Mono Black or close to Mono Black just to try to kill people with it. And it's also just a good stabilizer. Deal 5 to your 5-5, five, five, gain 5 life is pretty good. Uh, same thing with Gruesome Realization. Um, we've talked about both of those. but we have Now we have Dreams of Steel and Oil. It's 1 Black for a Sorcery. It's a target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an artifact or creature card from it. Then choose an artifact or creature card from their graveyard, and you exile both of them. So you can hit an unearth card and a threat they have in their hand. Um, and sometimes you'll play it just because they have an unearth card. Um, so you can get rid of it and also just get extra bonus value. I definitely think this card's good. I think it's going to see constructed play somewhere oh, yeah. as well. I, I um, think so too. Uh, it's either going to be a discard spell that accidentally has graveyard hate or graveyard hate that accidentally is a discard spell. And I find fine with both of those. Uh, the next card is Disciple of Gix. It's four and two black for a four, four uh, Phyrexian human. Not the greatest stat line, but when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for up to three artifact cards, put them into your graveyard, then shuffle. Uh, this can enable things that need three or more creatures in your graveyard. If you have artifact creatures, you can put uh, things with Unearth in your graveyard. Or if you have options to reanimate it like we talked before, it puts it in the graveyard for that. Um, this is an interesting build-around card. I don't know exactly how to rate it on its power. It's either going to be really good or very underwhelming, depending on what you get to go with it. But it's definitely worth trying to make it work once or twice. I will probably anyways. I'll let you guys know. The next card is Battlefield Butcher. It's two and a black for a 1-4. It says five mana tap. Each opponent loses two life. This ability costs one less to activate for each creature card in your graveyard. Um, it's a blocker that ends the game eventually. Even if you have to pay three mana and tap it, 
Um, it helps you stabilize early, hits your opponent for two without ever having to attack. This card is just a generic good card. And if you're in like the red black sacrifice deck, which if you're playing black, you're probably going to be playing some of those cards anyways. Um, it's going to cost a lot less with you putting creatures in your graveyard. A little anti-synergy with Unearth once you unearth them, but still good enough to play. Do you know what happens in the game of Magic, Brennan? Creatures One die. Player, creatures do die. Um, this, this card is nuts. Battlefield Butcher is almost always by turn five or six going to cost you one or two mana. Like this, this card is crazy powerful. The four toughness makes it immune to a lot of the removal uh, that's um, numbers based in the format, uh, and it it kills your opponent pretty fast. Two damage a turn adds up fast, it, and it's better than damage. It's loss of life. This card, yeah, I'm putting this in my black decks, all of them. Absolutely. Um. Wrapping up with red here, we have Horned Stone Seeker. It's one in a red for a 2-2 menace. It says when it enters the battlefield, create a tap power stone token. Um, so it's a bear with menace that also makes another permanent. The quote-unquote drawback is when it leaves the battlefield, you're supposed to sacrifice a power stone. Um, if you're playing any kind of sacrifice deck, um, you can just sacrifice the power stone beforehand. So then there is no downside to this card. Uh, it's pretty aggressive, and a lot of these decks are slower, so it might be turn three or four till they actually have two creatures in play that can block it. Um, so that's worth mentioning. Interestingly next- on that card as well, if you don't have a sack outlet, you can use this as a sack outlet by letting it die, and it forces you to sacrifice the Power Stone to give you a trigger. That's very true. Um, and you can get double sacrifice if you sacrifice it and then a power stone. You get two sacrifice triggers right there for the yep. cards that care about that. Um, the next card is Giant Cindermaw. It's two and a red for a 4-3 with Trample. Just good stat line right there. Also says players can't gain life. Usually limited. That's not overly relevant, um, but corrupts here. And that makes Corrupt significantly worse and forces it to be a finisher. Um, or they have to answer it first. It makes it harder for them to stabilize. Obstinate Bailoff also in this set. This comes down to turn earlier. If there's a red aggressive base strategy, this card's definitely going to be crucial to it. And then the next card's my favorite red card on this little group. It's Mishra's Domination. It's one in a red for an enchantment. It says as long as you control enchanted creature, it gets plus two, plus two. Otherwise, it can't block. Um, one day, I'm going to live the dream. I'm going to play the four mana spell and steal my opponent's creature and put this on it. And then hit them for an extra two and then give it back and it can't block. But it's just And then a- die to it when it beats you to death? No, because I won't own it. So it can't block. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Genius. No, um... I like flexible cards like this. I liked Hammerhand um, when that was limited. It just does a lot. It throws off combat math. It's cheap. Um, it's cheap. It's good early. It's good late. Uh, a lot of times decks will stabilize by having a big dude you can't swing through, and this just answers that. Or it just is a two-mana shock that you get to slap on a creature. 
Um, you got anything about the red ones? Uh, no, the the giant cinder maw. Um, don't sleep on that stat line. Three mana, four three. It's pretty large. Uh, there's a lot of one and two power creatures in the format, which means this thing's just going to roll right through them. They're not going to be able to block it. It's going to get one, maybe two, maybe three hits in somewhat easily. Uh, the body's large. Uh, the can't gain life is nice. It's secondary. It doesn't really make the card any better or worse. Um, but it's a beater. I'm going to be playing some of those. Uh Nothing else about the red cards, though. There are some neat green cards that I am excited about here. Uh, reprint of Blanchwood Armor. Uh, creature enchantments in general in Limited are always scary because you can get two for one when you go to play your creature enchantment and then they uh, remove it. But there's not that much instant speed removal in this format. And Blanchwood Armor says two and a green, give enchanted creature plus one plus one for each forest you control. If you're in a heavy green deck, this could end the game real, real, real fast. You play a good two-drop creature, uh, like maybe that Argothian Pixie that can't be blocked by artifact creatures, and on turn three, you follow it up with plus three, plus three, you're swinging for five. They better figure it out real quick, or they're dead. I mean, this just kills them fast. Uh, Alloy Animist is a pretty fun build-around-me card. It's uh, one green for a one-one, real cheap. And it has the activated ability of two and a green. And until end of turn, you can make a non-creature artifact you control become a 4-4. Four, four. Uh, this could be really useful in uh, the decks that are going to utilize the one and two mana cantrippy style artifacts that just kind of sit and play and do nothing after that. You can turn them into bodies that swing in there. Relatively big bodies, too. 4-4 four, four is nothing to sneeze at. Um, Narrow Root Pallbearer is four and two green for a 5-5. Five, five with Trample, and it's nice because you're paying 6 for a 5-5 five, five Trampler, but you're getting an immediate effect. When it comes into play, you get to give a creature plus X plus X, where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Uh, so you can throw this down, get a good attack on something else, you got another big body they got to deal with the following turn. Uh, this is a pretty decent top end. Uh, the only downside to this card is there's so many good artifacts that I'm probably going to play over this card a lot of the time, but this is common. In Sealed, I find I will probably play this card a little bit more than in Draft. And then the last green card is the good old Giant Growth. One green, instant, gives something 3-3. Three, three. And considering the lack of instant speed removal in the set, uh, I really think powerful combat tricks like this are going to be basically just removal spells. When I play Giant Growth, I'm going to kill your guy. Uh, when I play a Giant Growth, I can get the last three damage and use it as a Lightning Bolt. Uh, it's just so good. So good. Uh, you got any notes on those uh, Those there? No, I guess with the Alloy Animus, it's just super cool. Um, there's not a lot of great instant speed removal, like you said. And so it'll force them to use their Sorcery remo removal on your one mana 1-1. One, one. So you're always kind of winning that mana war. You know, they're going to spend two, three mana to kill your 1-1. One, one. Um, and you can use it offensively and defensively. You can end a game when you have six mana and you start swinging for eight a turn with your Mishra's Bobbles or whatever. Or, you know, if they get an aggressive start on you, it's going to be hard for them to attack into it. Especially, let's say, in your green-blue deck, you have other things to do with your mana. You can just leave it up every turn and play stuff at the end of their turn. Uh, so I definitely think it's a little better than it looks. You just have to build around it a touch. That's yeah, pretty... it, it needs a deck around it. Speaking for of sure. the deck, the deck you're going to get around it uh, to get into the multicolor. 
I'm pretty excited for this card. I haven't figured out exactly where I want to put it. Um, but Yoshin Dis- Descendant? Dissident. Dissident. Reading's hard, guys. Um, it's a green and a white for a 1-1 human artificer. It says whenever, whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Love uh, this card. There's a lot of treep artifacts. You can put it on itself. You can put it on a bigger guy with trample. Uh, this card is just good. It's going to have to eat a removal spell or can get out of hand in more aggressive decks. Um, definitely keep an eye out for this one. And then the other only good multicolor card that we're super excited about is Skyfisher Spider that I went through before. It's a pseudo-removal spell. Um, well, it is a removal spell. Uh, so yeah. But Yoshin dis- 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 Dissident. Dissident. Yep. I'm just going to say it over and over again until I remember. Um, no, I think this there's something to build around here. Maybe it's more for draft, uh, but every pack has an artifact, guaranteed. So if, if you have Yoshin Dissidents in your pool, go immediately look at your artifacts. If you can squeeze this thing in easily into your deck, uh, it's going to throw one, two, three, four or more 1-1 one, one counters around your board. It's really strong. Yeah. Um, speaking of cards that are really strong, I'm super excited to play this card, mostly because you can play it with Corrupt. It's Steel Exemplar. It's five colorless for a 4-4 four, four for Artifact Creature Wizard. Boo. As Trample. It says when it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters, Unless two or more colors of mana were spent to cast it. So if you're a monocolor deck and you pay five of the same color, it is a five mana, six, six trampler. If you open up one or two of these, you open one or two corrupts. Um, definitely look at that mono black deck. That's a possibility. It's fringe. It might not be the best thing to do. Um, I don't think it's fringe. I actually think it would be strong in draft. Yeah, especially draft. I'm in sealed. It's pr- there's probably a better thing you could do with your pool. But honestly, if you're just playing two colors, a five-minute 4-4 four, four trampler... It's okay. I it is, is, it's, it's okay. an artifact. It's an artifact that's easier to remove. Um, I'll talk about Aeronauts. Five-minute 6-6 six, six trampler is really good. Five generic. You can just put it in anything. Um, I mean, speaking of draft... I think this is a card you can pick up pretty early and it leaves you kind of open. Uh, and I always like cards like that. I'm going to move over to Aeronaut's Wings now, which is two colorless for an equipment. An equipped creature gets plus one, plus O, oh, and has flying and has an equip cost of two. Not very exciting, but it does give creatures evasion. So you get a board locked up. You need to get your guy through for a couple hits. It does the job. And again, equipments usually aren't as good because they just die to removal. Um, you kind of spend your mana for nothing. But with a, so much of the removal being sorcery speed, um, you're going to at least get one hit out of this, get one guy through. So uh, definitely something. To add a note there. I actually have the opposite opinion of you on equips. Equips are great because they give you something to turn your junkie creatures into in the later game. Um, that's fair as opposed to um, having your best creature you, you like I'm very rarely attaching an equip to my best creature I'm usually attaching it to my worst creature this equip is the exception though 
this equip I'm usually putting in my best creature to smash. Agreed. Um, maybe I don't value equipments enough in limited. Uh, you definitely play way more limited than I am, so I'm not going to second guess you. But I will let you talk about our next card because you explained it to me when it, we first started talking about it uh, on the phone a couple of days ago. And yeah, it seems really cool. So I'll let you handle Mask of the Jade Crafter. Mask of the Jade Crafter. Two colorless for an artifact. And its ability is X, tap, and sack it. And you get to make a 5-5 artifact creature token. Unfortunately, it's only as a sorcery. Uh, but fortunately, the card also has Unearth for two and a green. This card is so flexible. I'm going to play it in a lot of decks, even decks that can't Unearth it. Um, I can turn this, I can play this on turn two, and on turn three, I can make a 3-3. Three, three. I just filled out my curve. I've got a bunch of large creatures in my hand, and my curve was going to be terrible, and I made a Centaur Courser. That's fine. Uh, I can draw this in the late game, play it down on turn seven, and make a 5-5 five, five right away. I, if I'm you know, not in danger, don't need the creature right away. I can wait and make a 7-7. Seven, seven. Um, so many things. Uh, like, it, it, it's a curve pillar. Uh, cards like Stone Coil Serpent, um, Walking Ballista, Hanger Back Walker, all, all of the uh, X creatures were always so nice in Limited because they fit on your curve where they needed to. This is just like that. It fits on your curb where it needs to. And it has unearth. So late game, you can just get an extra guy. I, I can't really say much more about the card. It, it's just so versatile. It's going to give you a body of variable size. Yeah, it's the card's going to be great. Again, I think, you could, like you said, you can play it in cards that aren't on Earth. Um, and if you build a deck that wasn't maybe really dependent on artifacts, it's not green, maybe you're in the um, like the blue-black draw two card a turn deck, um, and you need a 23rd card, this card just slots into anywhere. Uh, definitely keep an eye out. It's not uncommon, so you might not have it in your pools likely, but it slots in a lot of places. And again, things are really splashable, so maybe it's worth splashing a green in there somehow whether it's through artifact mana or a forest just to make this payoff at the late game, give you some inevitability. It's also a sacrifice effect. It's also a sacrifice effect. Moving on to the lands, speaking of sacrificing effects and splashing colors, we have evolving wilds for those of you who haven't played with that card in standard. Um, it's a uh, land that tap, Sacks and search your library for uh, a basic land card, not basic land type. It has to be a basic land card. You put in the battlefield, tap and shuffle. Um, it's a budget fetch land. It's not that great in a lot of places, but the mana in this format, um, it's going to be hard to be greedy, especially coming from Dominary United, where playing five color decks wasn't that hard. Uh, so Put some consideration of these. If they're in your sealed pool, you probably want to play them, even if you're only playing two colors. Uh, thinning your deck is relevant. Um, it's a sacrifice effect, which is the first time that I can think of that's been relevant in a limited format, well, as far as Evolving Wild goes. So, uh, yeah, color fixing is good. You need to have mana to play your cards. Uh, the next one is... I'll let you talk about. Sure, yeah. Uh, Takeshi's Dig Site. 
So this is a common land. You're going to see it relatively frequently, and you're not going to run it that often. Um, it is tap for a colorless, and it is three and tap and surveil one. The reason I say you're not going to run it that often is because this goes best in a very streamlined single or two-color decks. But in those decks, it's so good. It's just a land. It's free. It just has extra text on it that lets you filter through your deck. Uh, it even puts stuff in the graveyard with the surveil ability, and sometimes that can matter a lot. Putting in unearth creatures, getting the three creatures for the uh, cards that care about three creatures in the graveyard. Um, when you're in a three, four, or five color deck, uh, this is far less likely to make your cut. You just don't have the slots to run a card that doesn't make colored mana. Uh, but when you're in a one or a two color deck, even in a sealed deck, uh, Look for this card. It's common. You'll get them pretty frequently. It just does something on a land. Uh, I always like that in my limited pools because land draws late game are usually dead. This one's not dead. Yeah. Uh, sealed games can go a long time. You can exchange a lot of resources, go to top deck mode. Uh, just having the selection. If you don't think Surveil's good, go play with Dragon Rage Channeler. <laughs> Better yet, go play against it. Yeah. And let me know how you feel. Um, and the other big thing, you know, in a limited format, you don't have four of all your cards. So having that extra consistency to hit that bomb late game to make sure you get that. Um, I mean, that's what makes Dragon Ranch Channeler so good in Legacy Delvers. They get to play one ofs because they're almost guaranteed to hit it. Obviously, this isn't DRC. It's not as good. Uh, but it's relatively free. And unless you're have a lot of mana restrictions um in any two color deck this is probably worth a one of in your uh sealed deck especially draft maybe not so much because it takes a draft pick unless you can pick it up really late but i think in your sealed decks you know where you're going to be primarily two colors with not a lot of you know two or three color pips uh definitely worth giving it a shot so anything else on that Nope. Uh, I'm I am ultra excited to play this weekend. Um, I'm going to do as many seals as I possibly can with the pre-releases. Try out all these new deck types. Uh, super excited to play the uh, the black red sack deck. I've actually uh, uh, drafted it a few times uh, in ghost drafts uh, online just to see what kind of pulls I could get for the deck. Uh, I'm excited. I, I, I like the set. I think it's going to be fun. I am as well. Um, I really like Strixhaven Limited because of the Mystical Archives and having something like that. It just adds a level of excitement. Um, and it lets you play with cards you haven't played with in a while. Um, or maybe cards you've never played with. Maybe weren't playing Magic when some of these cards came out. And you get to check them out and try them. It does make predicting what your opponent has a little bit tougher. But I think it makes the games more fun in general. So we will see. They're all artifacts. And this is a very artifact-themed set. So that's relevant to think about. Um, a couple things before we jump off here. Well, really just one thing uh, that came out today. They updated the list cards for the Brothers War. Did you see that? I did not. Yep. Um, and on if you go to Daily MTG which starting uh, on the 10th, they will have updated what that site looks like. That was kind of their other big news. 
But the two cards I'm excited for on the list are Force of Vigor and Urza's Saga. Oh, I love it. So uh, they took off some less than desirable ones on there. They took off a couple good cards. Uh, They added a lot of interesting stuff. You can see the whole list there. But we've kept you guys long enough. I'd ask you where they can find you, Josh, but I know you're going to be at Worms War Games North this weekend, uh, and you're an old man without social media. That is true, and I, I'll be at work uh, for 10, 12 hours a day, Friday, Saturday, and most of the day on Sunday, too. So Remember, guys, pre-release weekends are really long for the store employees. Be nice, and don't hang out forever after the event's done. Go hang out <laughs> outside in the parking lot, okay? Um, yeah. You'll be able to catch me on Magic Online, hopefully playing a Vintage Challenge this weekend. And good luck in your pre-releases. Make sure, if there's a card you missed, that an archetype that you think we're absolutely stupid for not talking about, or you just want to give us your opinion, make sure you add us at Twitter, at TOFA Podcast, or send us an email. at to, or It's TOFAPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, as for me, you can find me at Twitter at Play to Your Outs, uh, on Facebook at Brendan Carlington. If you add me on Facebook, I'll try to sell you a car. Fair warning. <laughs> um, besides that, until next guy, time, guys, good luck in your pre-releases. Hopefully you open up all the bombs. We'll talk to you soon.